A reading from Paul's epistle to the Roman church. Beginning with chapter 6 and verse 1. Romans 6, 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were, therefore, buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God in the same way. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master. Because you are not under the law, but under grace. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So you may have heard in that first verse a clue that there was something important before it. Paul said, what shall we say then? Which is a rhetorical question, right? He wants you to answer what can you say to what he's just said before. And what he said before was this, the law. He's talking about the, the Ten Commandments, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, all of those books of the scriptures that we talk about as forming the kind of the kind of ellipsis of how God wants us to live in the world. The law, he says, was brought in so that the trespass might increase. Now that sounds kind of odd. Are you saying, preacher, that God gave the law so that sin would increase? Well, that's what Paul is saying, so I'm going to go with it. But what does Paul mean by that? What Paul means by that is because the law is given, we're able to see our sin. Otherwise, we would not know what sin is. 
Because the law has been given, we are able to know what our trespasses are. We are able to know the, the full weight of our rebellion against God, and we're able to know the ways in which we actually rebel against God. If we did not have the law, we would not know those things. And so Paul says, sin increased through the giving of the law. For this purpose, he says, listen to this, that grace might increase. Listen to what he says. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so he says, what shall we say then? Shall we keep on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. Man, what a beautiful argument. All through this book, he begins in Romans 1. Too many people get caught up in the sexual sin nuances of Romans 1 and forget that what's actually being talked about is when we turn our hearts from worshiping the creator to worshiping the creature. Sin actually belongs to. When we misuse our bodies, we actually deny that it's created by someone other than us who claims ownership over us and has a right to us. And so he moves from there to talk about how sin came to all people through Adam. And that death came through sin and that we are powerless in the face of it. That we right now without Christ are not able to make the decision not to sin. That sin is in some way consuming all of us. Because we have a nature of sin. What he means by a human nature. What he means by a mortal body a body that is given over to death. And death, Paul says, is the wages of sin. Sin brought death into the world. But he wants us to know that if we look around and see the body of sin in the world, if we look around and see how great sin in the world, then we also ought to take a moment and realize that the grace of God is greater than all our sin. And so he reminds us that though sin looks like it has this unbelievable mastery and reign over the world, over the human family, that indeed God's grace is ready and waiting to rule. And God's grace comes to rule in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, the crucified Jesus, the risen Jesus, the ascended Jesus, the one who has been made Lord and Christ, the one who was dead and is alive. Through him, the penalty of death has been paid because each of us, dear ones, each of us who have been baptized into Christ, Paul says, have joined him in his death. So the death required of sin has been paid. The death required of sin has been died. Might be a better way to say it. So there was a man hungry one day, late mid-afternoon. If you're one of my kind of people, you know that's a pretty tremendous time to roll up into Waffle House. So the man walks into a diner one day, walks up to the counter and proceeds to order a bowl of chili. The waitress says the man sitting next to you just ordered the last bowl.
And so the guy looks at the man next to him and he notices he's not eating it at all. It's just sitting in front of him. And after watching him not eating for a while, he, he looked at the man beside him and said, Hey, uh, are, are you going to eat that? Because he really wanted the chili. And the second man replied, No, you can have it if you want it. So the first man takes the bowl and starts eating. He's braver than I am. But he takes the bowl and starts eating. About halfway through the bowl, he's chewing on something crunchy. And he looks down, kind of wondering what in the world in this chili might be this crunchy. And he looks down and he sees a dead rat minus the head. An obviously crunchy head laying in the bowl of chili. He immediately throws all of it up. He vomits it all back into the bowl. And the second second man looked at him and said, Yeah, that's about as far as I got to. (laughs) It is funny. (laughs) Yeah, makes me think about Waffle House a little bit differently. But You know, here's the thing. He saw something. He saw the effect of something, right? Now, he didn't get a chance to see the first man throw up or he wouldn't have eaten the bowl of chili. Everybody agree with that? Wouldn't have taken it, would it? If he saw that guy throw up in the bowl of chili, I hope you at home agree, because eating something that somebody's throwing up into is just not a good idea. But he didn't see that. And so he eats it for himself, and he suffers the same effects that the first man suffered with that bowl of chili. But now I want you to imagine, imagine if you will, that you are the third person to come to the counter, and don't you want somebody to warn you about what's in that bowl? What do you think? Yeah, yeah, I, I do. I want somebody saying, no, you don't want to eat that today. In Romans, Paul is a man at the end of the counter who pipes up and says, don't do it. Everybody else just watched the second man who walked into the diner eat that bowl after the first guy threw up in it. Paul is the guy at the end of the counter who screams to the third man, don't eat that bowl. Even if they tell you it's okay, don't eat it. Honestly, we want, we want the second man to say, you don't want to eat that. We want the first man to say, you don't want to eat that. We want the warning that something that we're about to eat is about to call us, cause us violent harm. We want that warning. We need it. We want someone to tell you that. I mean, honestly, when your kid comes to you and says, hey, Dad, taste this, don't you know not to put that in your mouth? I mean, am I right, moms? You know, if a kid brings something to you and says, hey, here, taste this, don't eat it. It's a trick. We need that honesty, that level of honesty about the things in the world that taste bad. So if you're the third guy coming into the diner, you want somebody to warn you about the rat that's in the bowl. Here's the thing. Choosing to sin after what Paul tells us here. And essentially this is what he's saying to us. Choosing to sin. Choosing to sit down, grab your big giant tablespoon and take a big heaping grip of sin and eat it. Is eating a dead rat. You're eating death. To choose to sin is to eat death. That's what Paul is saying to us. He's calling to our attention that if we are baptized into Christ, 
then I, we have in fact died with Christ and therefore we are dead to sin because dead people can't sin. Kind of simple logic. Paul is putting before us that we ought not eat the rat. Choose to eat healthy food. Choose something different. Scholar David Bartlett said, it's a perennial and inescapable puzzle of the Christian faith that when we are truly servants, we are truly free. So long as we are servants to God, when we are servants to sin or to sin's progeny, which he says are envy, greed, and ambition, I would add pride, we are not free at all. That's what Paul wants us to gather into ourselves, that when we choose first to serve God, we are choosing expressly not to sin. But when we choose to sin, we are choosing to serve death. We are choosing to serve envy. We are choosing to serve pride. We are choosing to serve greed. We are choosing to serve ambition. The Reverend John Wesley said something that I think sits right in this writing of Paul, and I wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't said in response to this writing of Paul, particularly when Paul says that sin no longer has dominion over us. You might remember that from your old King James. It no longer has mastery. It no longer reigns over us. Wesley said that sin may remain in the Christian. You may still, in fact, commit sin that's unintentional. You still may, in fact, commit sin out of weakness. But sin does not reign over you. You have a choice. We have a choice. We can, in fact, behave differently because we are empowered by our baptism into Christ and through the Holy Spirit who was given at Pentecost. Remember that Pentecost sermon? If you don't, the good news is you can go back and watch it now. I talked about how the power of God is given to us, and if the power of God is given to us, we don't have the right to say that we can't do anything. That's why Jesus said when the Spirit was given, we would do greater things than even he had done. That's the least believed scripture in all of Bible, all of the Bible, except, except for that love your enemy part that we prayed about a little while ago. Too many Christians live as if Jesus didn't say that. And that, dear ones, is intentional sin. To berate our enemies, to put people who disagree with us down, to argue with people for the sake of arguing, to come at people and seek to overpower them. Here's a fascinating project you can do. Click on a video that gets shared on Facebook, and you'll go into the video feed area of Facebook. And if you'll scroll through them, scroll through them, you will see a lot of political videos where it says, this person owns this person, right? Some, you know, smart aleck kid says something to Johnny whoever and whoever owns them. You'll see that. You'll see it destroys them. And they're talking about verbally dominating somebody through some kind of argument. Does that sound like what Jesus is calling us to be? It doesn't to me. Maybe I'm naive. Maybe I'm too hopeful. Maybe I believe too much in this salvation that Jesus offered. Because here's the thing, dear ones, if you heard me say probably till you're tired of hearing it, salvation is not about you dying and going to heaven. Salvation is about you being transformed now. If there's no transformation in your life, you might ask yourself, do I really have faith in Christ? 
We are called to be something different. And Paul is reminding us of that call. We are called to the waters of baptism so that our sinful self can drown. When we bring our kids to the font, we're bringing them to drown and die to self so that hopefully they will be raised to new life in Christ, to a different way of living. Now it's a transformation that happens across our life for many people. For some people it's instantaneous. For some people it is a struggle and a deep struggle. As Martin Luther said, our old self is a good swimmer and struggles to remain above the water. I watched my friend Jonathan Snibben preach this morning. He said something that I thought was profound. He said, sometimes we love our sin too much to let it go. Boy, that's hard, isn't it? But there's truth in that. Paul is reminding us that we have a choice. We do not have to allow sin to reign over us. For if we are baptized into Christ, then we are, as the wall says, dead to sin but alive to God. Dead to sin. It does not reign over us. We do not have to answer its call. So don't make the excuse, I'm only human. Instead, say, I have sinned. I'm sorry. Own your mistake. Say to someone, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? That is what repentance looks like. It looks like being rejoined to people who we have hurt. In the same way, repentance with God looks like being rejoined to God whom we have offended with our rebellion. Paul is calling us to live in the richness of that, which is so much more than getting our ticket punched and riding the heaven bus. We have a choice. We are the third man who walks into the diner. Paul has told us there's a headless rat in that bowl of chili. And he's leaving it up to us. Are you going to eat it or walk away? Are you going to sit down at that table and take a big gigantic spoonful of vomit, dead rat, and, you know, usually pretty good chili and eat it? Or are you going to seek something that's good for you? We have the choice. We can shovel death down our throats all day long. We can sow death and discord in the world. Or... Or we can taste of the goodness of God and sow love and peace in the world. That is our choice. The first one is idolatry and rebellion against God. The second is the way of eternal life. It's up to us. God will not force us to adhere to God's call. God will not force us to give up sin. But God invites us to have life instead. That should excite us. The idea that we might actually be able to be people who can love people whom we disagree with should excite us. It should compel us to desire it. At the very least, at the very least, it ought to make us wonder if it's truly possible. And if you fall in any of those three categories, I want to invite you to respond to this sermon today 
with a practical thing that you can do. When you find yourself thinking about someone and realizing that you despise them, or maybe you're about to express your dislike for someone on your Facebook feed or Twitter feed, and some of you might still have MySpace. I don't know. Anybody still have MySpace? No. Well, some people might. Whatever it is, wherever it is that is your opportunity to express your opinion at your dinner table, in your workplace, on a street corner, when you're standing in line at Walmart and the cashier is struggling, wherever it is that you find yourself suddenly filled with a deep distaste for another human being, what some people might come close to calling hate. When you feel yourself struggling with disliking someone so much that you're almost at that point where Jesus would have said you might as well kill them in your heart. You've killed them in your heart, you might as well kill them, right? When you find yourself getting to that point with someone, when you can feel in yourself a desire to lash out and express your deep distaste for another human being, try this first. Stop what you're doing and pray for that person intentionally by name. Pray for that person with their face in your mind. Pray for that person with their, your, their needs in your mind. They might be a wretched person and have a horrible personality or who knows what. In that moment and stop and pray for them. Because here's the thing I've learned, dear ones. It is impossible to hate people that we pray for. That is truly one of the ways that grace is greater than our sin. God has given us the grace of praying for our enemies and empowers us to do it. But the question is, will we choose to? Will we choose to pay, pray for people with whom we disagree or with whom we would go to war? Will we choose to pray for them? Or will we ignore God's command and still call ourselves faithful to God? That's a real question. That's not hyperbole. That is what is actually before us in this text. Because if we choose to actively hate someone, then we are choosing to be served to serve sin. We are choosing to be reigned over by sin. We are choosing to be mastered by sin. We are taking a big, gigantic spoonful of death and shoveling it down our throats. So I invite you to take a practical response to this word from Paul and to this thing that your pastor has said. And the next time you find yourself feeling a great deal of distaste for another human being, another person for whom Jesus died, pause, stop, and pray for them. Right then. I would love to hear how that affects your life. I know how it has affected mine. Dear ones, I share this to you because it is the word of God to us that we can choose not to sin. 
that we can consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.